Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay. I am. <laughs> All right. What's going on, everybody? Um, <laughs> I just noticed literally right before I started recording this that I have literally sharks everywhere. <laughs> I got one right here. One right there and one back there. <laughs> Let's get the uh, plugs out of the way first. Um, my name is Kyle Matovic. This is In Liberty and Health, episode number 95. Um, this is going to be the most sexist podcast ever. <laughs> At least that's what I'm going to entitle it. Um, make sure you check out accentsledge.com for all your supplements. Use code Matovic10 at checkout. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share if you think what I'm doing is valuable and you're enjoying my content, which hopefully you are. I've um, been at this for about close to probably a little over six months and really enjoying it. Hopefully everyone else is too. And like I said, hopefully you guys think I'm putting out good information. I do a lot of uh, time and research into um, the shows, especially for solo podcasts. So yeah, just make sure you like, subscribe, share, check me out on all audio platforms and get yourself all jacked and tan from using access Ledge supplements. So today I kind of wanted to talk about... Um, different aspects of why it's so important for the left to kind of talk to women and why the abortion issue and student loan forgiveness is such a big thing on the left, because as we'll see, um, women are a majority of the population, not by a lot, but they are by a little bit. So, um, you know, approximately 51% of the U.S. population is women. Women tend to outvote men. Women tend to spend more than men. And, um, they also hold the majority of student debt. And also, you know, when you frame abortion in terms of women's reproductive health, it's very easy to mobilize people and get them very emotional about a topic to get them to support you because you're under the impression that your reproductive rights are being taken away. Even though I don't necessarily agree with that, I understand why they do it because once again, it's very easy to mobilize people and get people out there to vote if you get them emotional about a topic. So when you emotionally charge things, then people just think that this is such a big issue because they, they can't think straight. They're not thinking rationally. They're thinking emotionally rather than um, rationally. So um, I'll do this first screen share and we'll read quite a bit and I'll provide some commentary throughout. So let's get uh, rolling without further ado here are learning they have more college debt and make less money to pay it off. Sarah McGrew took, or looks at why women, and especially women of color, 
have more debt. Radea Ellis says she was awarded merit-based scholarships when she went to college, but it wasn't enough to cover all of tuition and living expenses. I mean, my parents, they if they did have the money, it wouldn't last. You know, it'd be a one-time thing, or well, I can pay for your books, but never a full tuition at all. So she took out loans for both her undergraduate and graduate education. In total, it ended up being about $120,000. Oh, it's hitting me right now because I'm trying to buy a home. It's impacting my credit, right? Um... It's a, it's a perceived as a um, liability. Yeah. It's kind of funny that they uh, brought up the liability part. Um, when you have somebody that has a lot of debt, then you know that this person needs to make good on those debts. So yes, debt is a liability. Um, if you go to apply for a home, then you have to make your home payment every month because the bank is loaning you money. And if you have outstanding credit, then that's a liability because it's going to be something else that you have to pay. So that's a big liability. So of course it's going to be considered a risk for the bank to make a loan to somebody who already has a lot of outstanding debt. And to kind of tack on another point here, um, people who go to college and take out copious amounts of money, where are the parents and why aren't the parents saying like, hey, are you sure you want to take out this insane amount of money for college are you sure you're going to be able to pay this debt back um these are things that should be considered before going to college i mean i even knew this when i was 18 19 years old right before i went to trade school um i knew that i had to get a job outside of trade school afterwards to pay back the debts that i owed i mean that's kind of the deal right you take money out it's not your money you're borrowing that money therefore the money needs repaid all of that is impacting my next life that I want to live, right? I don't want to rent for the rest of my life. Student loans especially impact women who hold two-thirds of student debt in the country. Ultimately, women of color feel that burden the most. It's like now I have this degree and I have to like work it off instead of work towards the life that I want to live because of the degree. And women usually end up taking out more to begin with, according to the American Association of University Women. White men usually take out about 30000 in student loans. White women on average borrow just over $31,000. And black women typically take out nearly $38,000 in loans for school. And after graduating, women are further impacted by the pay gap, making just 81% of what their male counterparts are expected to make. Um, I think everybody knows the, the whole deal with the gender pay gap has been thoroughly very thoroughly debunked over and over again men tend to take on more risky jobs men tend to you know do things that women don't want to do so therefore they get paid more men also work more hours women take more time off for childbearing i mean that's just is what it is you're not going to eliminate that and unless there's women who don't want to have kids or you know work as much as men then you're going to have to accept the brunt of not working as much therefore likely getting paid less. It's not right for employers to have to pay you to not be there. You're not producing anything. Therefore, you're not producing any value for the company and making them money. And we've been taught that, hey, getting those student loans in the beginning is the way to go and you can make that up on the back end. But financial advisor Erica Wright says that that's not really the best way to go about taking out student loans. My rule of thumb is you should only be taking out the amount of student loans that you would be making in the first year salary, okay, when you graduate. But when loans are the only option, that may not be possible. So if you find yourself feeling like the debt will never get paid off, she recommends reaching out for help. And we start to just figure out where you are right now and, and how we can 
you know, build comfort for your situation. There have also recently been increased talks about student loan forgiveness. Some proposals from federal lawmakers suggest forgiving up to $50,000. It'll help, right? It'll probably uh, take away a few years off the time frame in which I still have to pay back the loans. But even then, Redea expects at least another 10 years before her student debt is paid off. Reporting in Milwaukee, Sarah McGrew, TMJ4 News. So let me exit out of that and stop the share real quick. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, the deal is if you take money out that you don't have, then you're expected to pay that back. Um, and the big problem with student loan forgiveness, especially if you're going to put it at any just set amount, is that people who borrow above that feel like they got ripped off or, you know, it's not fair to them because they took all this money out and went to school and now they're not being forgiven for that. And people who took out less feel like they should have took out more because, you know, now you're forgiving 50 grand while the people who took out 30 grand think, well, shit, I should have just took out more money, right? Um, it's not a good model. And that's not to say I don't think there's any issues with the student loan programs because it's very predatory, right? They tell people their entire lives, they indoctrinate people essentially and tell them you have to go to college in order to make a living. And that's not true. I went to a trade school for two years um, and I make a fair living, right? I mean, I have a house, I have a couple cars. Um, I'm able to go on vacation to be able to do the things I want to do, but I didn't go to a you know four year college spending 50 grand a year <laughs> to, to make that living. Um, we tell people that they need to go to college and it's so important that you do this and take out this ridiculous amount of money and then the government guarantees it. You're not allowed to default on that. It's like Jordan Peterson has said before, it's like indentured servitude. So, you know, you're told to take this out your entire life and then all of a sudden you can't pay this back because the job that you were told that you had to go to college to get isn't bearing the same fruit that you kind of expected. But, you know, where are the parents? Should we tell these people you should maybe reconsider what you're doing, what you're going to school for? Just just consider all the different options. So kind of moving on here, they were focusing on women a lot, but as we'll see, men actually go to college less. So um, this was from 2021. The pandemic is speeding up the mass disappearance of men from college. When he and his male classmates talk about going to college, said Deborah and Aiden, um, it always comes down to one thing. We're more focused on money, said Aiden, 17, a senior at a public high school, like getting that paycheck, you know, whereas if I go to college, I got to pay this much and take on all this debt. Um, yeah, this is a problem. People don't want to take on debt to make money versus where you can just graduate. And now, especially with the workforce participation rate continually dropping lower and lower and more and more businesses looking for more and more people, you can just go straight out of high school and get a job and work and probably make 40 grand a year, just starting up, go work construction, go work a trade. Um, you get your foot in the door a lot easier because there's not that many people working out there. There's people just doing the gig economy, working DoorDash or something like that. I see people all the time saying that they're making 25 bucks an hour working DoorDash. So why would you go to college graduate with $100,000 of debt, only make $18 an hour when you go work DoorDash or do the gig economy, play the stock market, bet on crypto, and make way more money. It just doesn't make sense anymore. Um, that's among many of the reasons the number of men who go to college has been, for years, been badly trailing the number of women who go. And the COVID-19 pandemic has abruptly thrown the ratio even more off balance. 
while enrollment in higher education overall fell 2.5% in the fall, or by more than 461,000 students compared to the fall of 2019, the decline among men was more than seven times as steep as the decline among women, according to analysis of figures from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. Um, quote, in a sense, we've lost a generation of men to COVID-19. Um, it's a national crisis, says Louis Pongeon, I said that right, an associate professor of higher education administration at Texas A&M University. Aiden, who attends the University Park Campus School, plans to buck the odds and go to college. He said he decided this after he realized that his parents who immigrated to the United States from the Dominican Republic want a better life for him. His mother is unemployed now and his father runs a barber shop. Um, it wasn't dramatic, he said, of the moment he made up his mind to pursue a degree in computer science. He described it while standing outside on the asphalt that surrounds a 135-year-old red brick school, which switched to entirely virtual instruction because of the pandemic. You know, when you're in a shower and you just think about life, that kind of epiphany has eluded many other young men. Women now com comprise nearly 60% of enrollment in universities and colleges and men just over 40%. The research center reports 50 years ago, the gender proportions were reversed. We're already not doing so hot. This pandemic exacerbates what's happening. Um, it also opened jobs for young men from Worcester High School, schools, at grocery stores and Amazon, FedEx and other delivery companies said Linnell Reed, a head guidance counselor at the University Park, nearly two thirds of whose students are considered economically disadvantaged. The schools in a neighborhood of fast food restaurants, liquor stores, used car lots, dollar stores, and triple deckers homes, usually shared by three families on each level that are staple in New England. How do you go away to college and leave your family struggling when you know that if you just worked right now, you could help them? Um, right now with those everyday needs. That's a bigger pool for young men than for young women, said Derek Rooms, a sociologist at the University of Cincinnati. Um, I don't want to harp on that too, too long, but um, as you can see here, they're kind of elaborating on the point that women hold a majority of the debt and men kind of see it a little bit more urgent to go out and uh, work. Uh, you know, women choose different things and different majors. They have different life priorities than men. And it's going to change the way that they choose to go to school. So that was just kind of elaborating people's experience in the re or some of the research on who's going to college at this point. So continuing on here from Ernest.com, why women hold two thirds of the nation's student debt. Um, the issue of student debt has been widely covered in the press, and rightfully so. One out of five Americans hold student debt, and total outstanding student loan debt is still growing. One facet of the student debt issue has received less attention so far as disproportionate impact of student debt on women. While women make up 58% of graduates with associates, bachelor's, master's, and doctor's degrees in 2019, they hold all an even larger share of the outstanding student debt. Women hold about 65% of the overwhelming $1.6 trillion in student debt in the US. That's a lot of freaking money. $1.6 trillion guaranteed by the government. And to kind of go back to the root of the issue, um, this is probably part of the reason why we have so much inflation is because the government comes in with the Federal Reserve and prints all this money into existence and guarantees all these liabilities, essentially, instead of them being private banks that have to make good on these promises and make sure that people pay up, the government guarantees the money, therefore the purchasing power down the road is gone because they had to monetize all this debt and guarantee it and make sure that they're good for it. Um, and people can default on it, but it's like indentured servitude because you can never actually stop paying this debt. If you declare bankruptcy, you still have this student debt. 
But once again, this is why we have so much inflation is because government has guaranteed so many different financial aspects of our economy that now they have to make sure that they're good for this debt to all the colleges, universities, or what have you. Um, as a woman and general manager of student loan refinancing, geez, um, at Ernest, I wanted to learn more about the root causes. Why do women carry a disproportionate amount of the nation's student debt? More importantly, why is there a greater public awareness of this issue and a conversation about ways to address it? Um, women take on more debt for school. The American Association of University Women reviewed the federal loan data that uncovered that 41% of female undergraduates took on debt in 2015-2016, the latest figures available compared to 35% of male undergraduates. In addition to more women having student debt, were women also taking out larger amounts of debt? As it turns out, yes, women take on more debt than men at almost every degree level from associate to doctoral degrees across institution types. From the AAUW study, upon completion of a bachelor's degree, women's average student debt is about $2,700 greater than men, and Black women take on more student debt on average than do members of any other group. So here they just kind of break down different um, completion of undergraduate degrees, certificate by gender for 2016. So the data's a little bit dated but not insanely um, as you can see women take out more money than men do i'm um, knowing that women are taking on more debt to earn a college degree is an important insight but i wanted to find some more clear clear reasons why this happens more advanced degrees are awarded to women than men not only do more women enroll and finish their undergraduate degree than men 63 percent of women complete a bachelor's degree within six years compared to 57 percent of men but they also continue their education at a higher rate this makes a difference in how student debt is distributed by gender because a significant percentage of outstanding student debt is held by those pursued graduate degrees according to the center for american progress graduate programs count for 40 percent of federal student loans issued each year the most recent recorded on graduate Graduate degrees awarded 574,498 master's or doctor's degrees were earned by women compared to 411,000 master's doctor's degrees earned by men, 411,538 um, earned by men. That is, women earned 40% more of their graduate degrees. Um, I'm not going to belabor this point too, too much, but this kind of gets on to why it's going to be so important. Let me stop the share real quick. And this is going to be why it's so important for essentially the political left to campaign on this idea of student loan forgiveness, which you've seen them do constantly. And even Trump did it to a certain degree. Um, there were articles being shared a couple of years ago about how Trump wanted to forgive some student loans. But this is such a big issue because women are such a large voting block and they take out a lot more money than men do and tend to complete college at a larger rate, as we saw in that last article. So if you can kind of campaign on that and get the largest voting block to vote for you because you're campaigning on an issue that disproportionately affects them, you can kind of see where a lot of these votes are going to come from and why they campaign on this. So let's continue on to the next part that I want to share with you guys. Um, women outnumber and outvote men, but they don't vote alike. Female voters are not a sure bet for Democrats, recent research on voting says. While Black, Latina, and Asian women American voted for Democratic President Joe Biden by large margins, 55% of white women voted for then-incumbent Republican Donald Trump, and 44% chose Joe Biden, who went on to win. The data challenge any notion that women are a monolithic voting bloc with a shared sense of identity. 
There's no singular sort of women's vote in America in the American electorate, says Claire Gothrow, a research associate at the Center for American Women and Politics at Rutgers. Um, yes, women are more likely to vote Democrat than or Democratic than men, but once you look at gender data dis disaggregated by race, by age group, education, religiosity, these are really big differences. For example, white women have pretty consistently voted Republican in presidential elections. Still across all age groups, women do tend to vote more Democratic, with more white women voting for Democrats than white men. In addition to a CAWP analysis, found that unmarried women tend to vote at a higher rate than unmarried men, but married couples tend to vote at similar rates as each other. Um, there's also an education gap. According to the analysis, educated voters across demographic groups tend to vote Democratic, but the gap isn't as large as among voters of color. 64% of white women at college degree voted for Biden, while 45% voted for Trump. No matter how they vote, women play a huge role in U.S. elections. Um, as I was kind of getting on, this makes sense. It's so important for people who have an education to vote left because the left is really about forgiving student loan debt. What did Bernie Sanders basically campaign on? Free college for everybody. So if you campaign on that, then you could pull a whole ton of these people who are going to college and have a ton of student debt. I, I get it. They're hitting an important issue that affects a lot of people. And a lot of people feel very, very strongly about this because you essentially were, you know, it, it was very predatory. The student debt crisis is a very predatory thing, but that doesn't mean we should just throw free money everywhere because then not only do people not learn their lesson, but then you steal the purchasing power of future generations. People who did nothing wrong, essentially their purchasing power is going to be gone because of poor decisions of people today. It's a tough issue to kind of traverse, but once again, stealing the future purchasing power of future generations isn't the answer to it. Um, They've registered and voted at higher rates than men in every presidential election since 1980, Guthrow says. They outnumber men, at least in the past couple of elections, by about 10 million. So even though men outpaced women in terms of some other forms of political engagement, like donating and running for office, the fact that women outvote men is meaningful, but doesn't mean they all vote for female candidates. The number suggests that race is a stronger shared identity than gender, Guthrow says. Uh, meanwhile, women of color are wielding increasing power in the U.S. electorate. Guthrow says um, non-white people counted for about one-third of the electorate in 2020, which is the largest share ever. Um, so once again, this goes back to the id poll, the identity politics, um, which the left is all about. The left loves saying they're going to do justice for Blacks, Latinas, and all this. So if you can capture that one-third, 33% of the electorate, then you can really get more votes and get more people to support you. Therefore, you get in office, you get to enact these policies and then campaign on this. I've been talking about this a lot on Twitter. And this is kind of a little bit of a side tangent. Let me stop the share real quick. Um, it, it's funny that Donald Trump had complained about the, I don't want to say the exact phrase, but I think everybody knows what I'm getting at. It has to do with the election. Um, he raised $250 million, but only spent $40 million of that dollar, or $40 million of the total money raised on investigating into the issues with the election, or so he claimed. And the left has told people for years that they're going to forgive student debt and do all these stuff. But both of these things never quite come to fruition. Do you ever wonder why that is? It's almost like they don't want to fix these issues because it really motivates people to get out and vote for them. 
and that's not to say they're two wings of the same bird. I know that's a libertarian kind of saying, but they, they both push on these issues and it really, you know, gets people to get out and listen to them, vote for them and donate, right? <laughs> the election stuff was a great fundraiser for Republicans. The student loan forgiveness and stuff like that is a great tool for Democrats. Makes sense. Um, continuing on in the article here. Um, the voting power of black women was evident in the most recent presidential election. Black women are a demographic group that tends to turn out in extremely high numbers. And I think that definitely played out in 2020. Guthrow says in key swing states where black women turned out in urban areas and places like Georgia, that was just critical to the Biden victory. And it is the case, particularly in recent elections, that black women have one of the highest turnout rates. And she expects black women and other women of color to become even more influential in the ballot box going forward. More and more Gen Zers, young people up to age 24 are able to vote and they're more a they're a more diverse generation Githro says so I think the, in the future we're going to see in particular younger women of color holding a lot of sway in our elections um like I was kind of saying before they're going to mobile they're going to use identity politics to mobilize people and get people out there to vote um so this kind of goes on to the Roe v Wade leak from the Pew Research Center um Abortion, when it's framed as the way that it is, once again, it's a very emotional topic. It's very charged. So if you can split people and get them on your side, then you have more people that are going to reliably vote for you. Um, wide partisan gaps in abortion attitudes, but opinions of both parties are complicated. At a pivotal moment in the country's decades-long debate over abortions, right, public attitudes about the legality of abortion are largely divided along partisan lines and to a greater extent than in past decades. At the same time, a major new Pew Research Center study finds a wide range of opinions among Republicans and Democrats on several abortion-related issues. About six in 10 U.S. adults, 61%, say that abortion should be legal in all or most cases, while 37% said it should be illegal in all or most cases, according to the survey, which was conducted March 7th to the 13th, 2022, among 10,441 adults. The survey was fielded before the recent publication of a draft of the Supreme Court opinion suggested that the justices may be poised to strike down Roe v. Wade by the landmark 1973 case that effectively authorized abortion nationwide. Um, right here, you can see the graph where they say 60 to 61% are um, in favor of legal in most cases and 37% are illegal in most cases. But this is why you see people framing it in such a charged way and talking about it so much is because most people are in favor of abortion. In my opinion, um, I covered this with Justin Campbell. Um, I'm not in favor of abortion, but it's not a popular position, but I I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think that's killing a baby, and the choice isn't whether to or not kill a baby. The choice is whether or not to sleep with somebody, because that's when you have the most choice. Controversial, I understand, but don't sleep with people you're not ready to have a kid with. But that's, you know, we cover that in that show. Um, the share of Americans who say abortion should be legal in all or most cases is little changed in recent years, but support is higher today than it was a decade ago. In 2012 and throughout much of the former President Barack Obama's administration, only about half Americans said abortion should always or mostly be legal. Um, I think this represents the way that this white-hot culture war is going. As it escalates and as the government gets bigger and bigger, people feel more and more inclined to grab that lever of power and force their views on everybody else because 
you know, it's going to go one way or the other. So this white hot culture war continues to get hotter and hotter. So one side feels like they need more control to lever the state against the people that want to lever the state against them. Libertarians want to roll this all back and have the government be so small or non-existent to the point where it doesn't matter who's in charge because they don't have that much say in your life. That's a solution in my mind, but you know, it's going to take a little while to get there and there's going to have to be a lot of work done and you know, you're gonna have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, unfortunately. Um, while Republicans and Democrats have long been on opposite sides of the issue, the 42% point partisan gap today is considerably larger than it was in the recent past. The change in attitudes has come almost entirely among Democrats. Currently, 80% of Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents say abortion should be legal in all or most cases, up from 72% in 2016 and 63% in 2007. Republicans' views have shown far less change over time. Currently, 38% of Republicans and GOP leaders say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. In many ways, the partisan divisions over whether abortion should generally be legal in the United States tell only part of the story. <clears throat> While most Democrats say abortion should be legal in all or most cases, sizable shares favor restrictions on abortion under certain circumstances. While most Republicans favor making abortion illegal in all or most cases, majorities favor exceptions in cases of rape or when the life of the woman is at risk. Um, and this is going to be unpopular for pro-life people, but I believe that rape and um, situations of where the woman's life is at risk, I believe abortion is okay in that matter because the woman's life takes agency and the woman did not consent to have that baby put in her. Um, I don't like it that they're ending a life, but once again, the woman did not consent to sleep with this person and the woman has agency over a fetus that is not viable. Therefore, it should be okay to abort the baby. I, I don't like that, but to me, that makes sense. And like I said, I don't like it, but that's just the conclusion I've come to. Um, the new survey includes detailed examination of public opinion about abortion at specific time points in a pregnancy. Among the public overall, 56% of adults say that how long a woman has been pregnant should matter in determining whether the abortion should be legal. This includes 64% of Republicans and 52% of Democrats. Um, the reason why I think that is because at some point everybody realizes that this is a baby, right? Um, an abortion at eight months is going to inspire much more of a visceral reaction than an abortion at two months. Um, at two months, the baby's probably going to be a lot smaller than at eight months. And the thing that I think makes most people uncomfortable is that at different points, it's going to be more and more developed. It's going to resemble a human being more and more. And we understand that you're killing that. That is a life that is ending. So that's why as it gets later and later, the pregnancy, people tend to dislike it more and think there should be more and more restrictions on this. And to just kind of give my opinion one more time, I don't think of making abortion illegal is the end-all be-all because this is an educational matter, this is a cultural matter. People think that this is just a choice and it's okay to get rid of this because you shouldn't have to take responsibility and it's your body, your choice. Well, people don't understand that fetuses are actually largely autonomous, right? Once they are conceived, it's actually the fetus doing a lot of the kind of groundwork, if you will, as in constructing itself. It's not the mother. Although the mother is necessary, it's not just the mother that is required. So therefore, it's considered a child by my standards, at least. And I'm not a doctor, but that's just, once again, the way that I see it. 
Republicans are more likely than Democrats to say that abortion should be illegal at each stage of a pregnancy. For instance, in the first six weeks of pregnancy, when the cardiac activity sometimes known as a fetal heartbeat may be detected, but before many women know they are pregnant, a third of Republicans say abortion should be illegal, while 26% say it should be illegal, and 24% says it depends. Among Democrats, 61% say abortion should be legal at this stage of a pregnancy, while 10% said it should be illegal and 40% say it depends. Overall, the public's about twice as likely to say abortion should be legal than illegal at this stage of a pregnancy. 44% versus 21% with 19% saying it depends. Um, at 24 weeks of pregnancy, when a healthy fetus may survive outside of the womb with medical attention, 43% of Americans overall say abortion should be illegal, while 22% say it should be legal and 18% say it depends. At this stage, 60% of Republicans say abortion should be illegal, while just 8% say it should be legal and 15% say it depends. By comparison, Democrats are divided. 34% abortions or say abortion should be legal at this point, 29% say illegal, and 21% say it depends. Views also differ depending on the circumstances around the pregnancy. I think that's kind of obvious. Um, because there's lots of caveats there. Once again, if it's a not viable pregnancy, then it should be okay to get rid of that because the baby's not going to live anyways. Views also differ depending on circumstances around the pregnancy. Overall, a clear majority of adults say abortion should be legal if the pregnancy threatens the woman's life or health, 73%, or if the pregnancy is the result of a rape, 69%. A smaller majority says abortion should be legal if the baby is likely to be born with severe disabilities or health issues. Um, Democrats' attitudes about these circumstances follow a similar pattern. At least 8 in 10 say abortion should be legal if the pregnancy threatens the woman's life or health, or the pregnancy is the result of rape, um, 84 and 83%. A slightly smaller majority says the same about abortion if the baby is likely to be born with severe disabilities. Um, Republicans are mortified on these questions. While a clear majority say abortion should be legal if a woman's life is endangered, which 62%, a slightly smaller share say the same about a pregnancy that is a result of a rape, 56%. Republicans are far more divided on abortion if the baby is likely to be born with disabilities or health problems. 38% say abortion should be legal in this circumstance, while 29% say it should be illegal, and 31% say it depends. Um, once again, Republicans are going to be more pro-life, even though some of them really aren't all that pro-life compared to, you know, someone like me. Um, majority of Americans say doctors who perform abortions in situations where it is illegal should face penalties. Um, I kind of agree with this because it's not the women, it's, it's an educational issue. It's not, the, I think the doctors probably realize what they're doing when they suck out a fetus via vacuum um they snap their necks there's a lot of really ugly stuff that goes on with abortions um i think the doctors kind of understand what they're doing much less than the women who are getting them um as several states have passed more restrictive abortion laws in recent months some of the public debate has focused on penalties for doctors or women if abortion occur in situations which they are illegal Overall, 60% of Americans say doctors or providers should face a penalty if they carry out abortion in a situation where it is illegal. The public is divided, however, on whether a woman who have abortions under any circumstance should face penalties. 47% should say they um, say they should face penalty, while 50% say they should not. Um, this is just kind of getting into a little bit of minutia about different laws. That's not really what I wanted to focus this podcast on. This will be up in the show notes if um, people want to check this out.
Um, and here we're going to review the best paid jobs and once again why it's why it's so important to forgive student debt for women because as we'll see a lot of these jobs typically aren't held by women when you just kind of tease it out so um, these are mostly in euros in the uk but i think it probably broadly applies to the us as well so chief executives senior officials brokers aircraft pilots flight engineers air traffic controllers advertising public relations directors legal professionals um, information tech marketing sales financial managers medical practitioners sports players a lot of things are typically going to be men so therefore men earn more and they're just you know it's not as important because they're going to earn more they're going to be able to pay back their debts it's just a small tertiary point um higher education all this stuff um train and tram drivers all of these stuff probably aren't women dominated fields so therefore they're going to make less on average now we'll flip over to the lowest paying jobs in the u.s and as we can see women tend to hold them and you're going to see that a lot of these jobs are typically more people related. And if you know anything about personality traits and the way that men and women kind of divvy things up, men like to work with their hands. Men are a lot more, you know, kind of hands-on oriented and learn that way. I mean, go into an automotive shop like I work in and see how many women there are. In my entire career, I've worked with one female tech in 10 years. Um, so we'll just quickly breeze through this and I'll give some wrapping thoughts and we'll uh, rock and roll. Wage in the United States have recently hit their highest rate of growth since the end of the Great Recession in 2009, a 3.1% increase from 2017 to 2018 is a good sign for the American economy. But the effects are not being felt evenly. Millions of working Americans are earning less than $30,000 a year. Typically unskilled jobs such as those in food or customer service industries do not pay well probably because they don't require a lot of skill and you're not really producing anything. So people therefore don't have to pay as much. Um, though these skill, though these are often important jobs, workers can be easily replaced whether by another unskilled worker or by automation. These drives down um, these jobs, potential earnings. Once again, if you're not producing anything and you're not creating a lot of, you know, demand or things that people really need, then why should you be paid a lot? I, once again, if all you got to do is ring people in and out, how much skill does that take? Yeah, you got to deal with people. Yeah, it sucks, but you're not doing anything inherently difficult that's going to require a lot of time and effort. So therefore, why should you get paid a lot? 24-7 um, Wall Street reviewed the latest job market data from the U.S. Labor Department to determine America's 25 lowest paying jobs. Let me see. Uh, this was published in 2019, so slightly dated. Um, of the 25 lowest paying jobs, 18 are primarily held by women. According to a report by the Institute for Women's Policy Research, women make up 83% of middle skill workers who earn $30,000 or less annually and 55% of all middle skill workers, but only 36% of those jobs pay $35,000 or more. Um, middle skill jobs are those that require skills and experience beyond a high school diploma, like a certification, but less than a bachelor's degree. These jobs include transportation, food preparation, and packaging. The divide between men and women in middle-skilled jobs is due in part to conventional wisdom about occupations and gender roles. Women are also likely to be paid less than their male counterparts in the same job. There is no job in the U.S. which women's median annual earnings exceed $100,000. Um, so let's just kind of breeze through these 25 lowest-paying jobs, 25 missed agricultural workers, um, median annual earnings, 28 grand, total workers, 641,000. 
24, bakers annual earning 28,548, total workers 151,000, hair, hairdressers, hairstylists, and cosmetologists 28,340, total workers 309,000. How many women work at salons? Um, I remember when I was in Votex school, there were, I think, three rooms total for cosmetology. That is a lot of freaking people. And there was maybe one or two guys in that class. And I'm not disparaging men. There's nothing wrong with a guy wanting to be a cosmetologist. But women overwhelmingly work in that field, which, as you can see, the annual earnings is 28000 It's not a lot of money. Cleaners of vehicle and equipment, this section mostly men, at least in my experience. I don't really, um, in my experience working in automotive tech, I really didn't see that many women cleaning cars, although there were some. Um, annual earnings, 27,976. Um, total workers, 232,000. Packaging and filling machine operators and tenders, 27,508. Um, 250,000 total workers. My fiance at one point had worked in one of those jobs and I believe she actually worked with a fair shake of women as well. So um, once again, more woman dominated. Um, refuse and recyclable material collectors. I really don't think you see that many women working on the back of garbage trucks. <laughs> um, total 2018 being annual earnings, 27,248. Total workers, 63,000. But over 80% of refuse and recyclable material collectors are men. There you go. Um, MISC personal appearance workers, median annual earnings, 27196 Total workers, 258000 um, I think it's pretty obvious most of these people who do nails and things like that are typically going to be women. No problem with that. Just kind of what it is, what they're interested in. Um, entertainment, attendance, and related workers. Um, I'm kind of an entertainment worker, I guess, if you would consider a musician that. <laughs> um, 2018 mean, median annual earning is $27,196, or $27,196, uh, 85,000 workers, hotel, motel, resort desk clerks, um, annual earnings, $27,040, average um, total workers, 85,000. I'm sure you guys have seen plenty of women at the front desk. No problem with that. Just kind of what they choose to do. Nursing, psychiatric, and home health aides. Um, my mom does this, and I'm sure everybody knows a lot of women go to nursing school. There's again, nothing wrong with that. They choose to work with people. Perfectly fine. Um, 2018 median annual earnings, $26,832. Total workers, $1,419,000. Um, personal care aides, 26,786,000 workers, some under home health aides, um, plenty of women that do that as well, some men, but once again, majority of women work with people, child care workers, I think this is pretty obvious as well, mostly men don't do this, women do this, 437,000 workers, sewing machine operators, 25,896 total workers 131,000. Um, I, I won't go through the rest of these waiters, waitresses, 932,000. You guys can read through the article and kind of get your thoughts and, you know, kind of make up your own mind. We'll stop the share here. But um, all this, I think, kind of lays out the reason why it's so important for 
the political left to really hit on abortion and student loan forgiveness because you're getting you're reaching the largest voting block, right? If women hold a majority of debt and you're phrasing abortion as reproductive and women's health, then you're going to emotionally trigger women and get them to go in and vote for you because you're saying, hey, the Republicans want to take this away from you. Vote for me. That won't happen. It makes sense. And Republicans are typically campaigning on pro-life. There was a senator out in Arizona, I think, that was pushing for banning condoms. Nobody wants to do that. That's not tenable for anybody. You're going to push away all men and all women. But once again, look at the left's platform. Pro-choice, pro-student loan forgiveness, raising minimum wage. All that will disproportionately affect women and make their living standards better. I'm not saying we shouldn't make women's standards better, but it shouldn't be done via the government. Um, so yeah, once again, like, subscribe, share if you think what I'm doing is valuable. Um, you know, just make sure you check everything out. And um, yeah, I hope this was helpful. Uh, this was quite a bit of reading. I know these podcasts sometimes get a little bit dry, but um, yeah, hopefully you guys think I'm doing good work. And uh, yeah, check out the podcast we'll be putting out in this uh, following week. And um, yeah, guys, take care. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.